Welcome to a very special episode of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Joshua B. Kirkman, and this is the beginning of a very uh, short and sharp series of podcasts that are going to take place over the next uh, week and a half to two weeks. It's concerning the fight for the bite and the fact that big oil does not surf. Um, this podcast episode supported by the really cool people at Patagonia who are, uh, you know, really digging in their heels and helping all of us get together and make a big action against Equinor in Oslo uh, coming up on the 12th of May and also in uh, Stavanger where we're looking to organize a bit of a catch up there. Um, there's some other events that are popping up. There's a few links that are going to be um, coming through the Nordic Surfers Magazine, Instagram and Facebook. So keep an eye out for these actions that are going to take place in Oslo. This first podcast episode is an interview with Patagonia ambassador Heath Josky, a great surfer, great guy, and someone who is really putting the fight to Equinor um, in Australia and soon in the Nordics. He's on his way over with a delegation from some great people from the Fight the Bite Alliance in uh, Australia and also the Wilderness Society. On the ground, Greenpeace is working with um, this delegation and also um, some, some other non, non-profit partners who are really, um, you know, trying to raise awareness about this activity of drilling into sensitive marine environments. I'll let Heath do the talking, though. This podcast was recorded recently through Skype. There's going to be many more podcasts linked on this theme of the Fight for the Bite and I really thank Heath for taking the time to jump on the line. Let's get on with the podcast and look forward to seeing you in Oslo. Thanks. I thought I would kick off by just asking you what is actually going on right now regarding Equinor? Yeah, so um, Equinor is the latest um, company to apply to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. So, yeah, we've had two other companies apply to drill before in the Bight, and both of those companies have withdrawn their plans um, you know, after a certain period of time. BP was knocked back a couple of times, and then they withdrew their plans after lots of negative publicity as well. But, um, yeah, so Equinor is the most recent company that we've got applying to drill down here. And yeah, it's, um, it's amazing the ground, the the wave of support that we've been getting from all over Australia opposing their drilling. Uh, The words really getting out there now of how incredibly dangerous um, it would be for them to drill down there. And you know, the details are getting out and well, you know, we're, we're really concerned about about our oceans that we love and our lifestyles and our jobs and, you know, just our whole way of life being at risk down here. This, um, you, you've been uh, a surfer for a long while. Um, have you ever seen the surfing community in your experience come together around an issue like this like have you ever seen this before no nothing like it there's there's absolutely nothing i can compare it to but at at the same time i i feel like you know there's no threat we've had as grand as this is um you know when bp was applying there there was 
uh, you know, lots of opposition against it, and their their spill modelling was bad enough. But uh, Equinor's own spill modelling has actually, you know, gotten quite a bit worse than what BP's modelling was showing, and now it, it's basically you know two thirds to three quarters of Australia's surfable coastline is in that spill modelling zone. So it's just um, astronomical the amount of coastline that could be covered in oil if there was to be you know, a well blowout. And they couldn't contain that quickly. And you know, as we're spreading more and more facts about their very, very limited uh, resources and infrastructure to deal with a spill, it's it's um, you know it, it's really possible if that well blowout did happen, heaven forbid, it, it could really do you know, incredible amounts of damage. Do you think um, with this uh, collective response from surfers around Australia, and it is spreading to surfing around the world, really, because there is a lot of um, chatter about this now across different locations but do you, do you think it is about that risk to the coastlines themselves or do you kind of look at it as that you know surfers are kind of realizing hey, that God. they can yep can i i'll just shut these couple of doors here oh, yeah, no worries. they're making a racket just, <laughs> that's all right just give me give me one second no sorry. worries man had a great question lined up there too it was just flowing perfectly this is podcasting listeners. This is this is the kind of uh, technical challenges that we face uh, with the world of Skype. There we go. That's a door shutting in the background. Heath's got it Sorry, under control. Mate. Yep. I'm just back. I was just narrating for the listener so that we can continue. I just mentioned that these are the perils of podcasting. You know, across uh, time zones, is that you got to we live? Well, well, we're not live, but I like to kind of keep things going because I think it's more interesting and funny that way. Like, I, I like that you just <laughs> stopped me to shut a door because, like, the noise wasn't really that bad. And was that like you, some kids in the background having some fun? Yeah, it's just yeah, it's my two and a half year old son Good out stuff. there. Good stuff. Making a bit of a racket, but <laughs> no worries. That's great. I mean, I was just kind of getting to the to a question, or I guess like, like I. I I've been watching this a while myself um, and as an Aussie, you know, like I, I, where I come from, which is Foster Tunkari, um, that's kind of like, I think the spill modelling actually got all the way around to Foster Tunkari, which was kind of remarkable. Um, was it up to Port Macquarie on the East Coast, I want to say, but how far north yes. did it get? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so it got all the way around there, which is kind of just a remarkable reach, you know, like I, I wish swells would reach that's, there that easily. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible, mate. So yeah. You know, I just did – I live in Streaky Bay, which yeah. is on the Air Peninsula. Exactly. Uh, but I grew up at, at Nambucca Heads, which is just north of where the, the spill modelling reaches, just north of Port Macquarie. For yeah. me to get across here, it's a 25-hour drive. You know, it's over – it's uh, over two thousand kilometres in a straight line, mm. and 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 um, to follow the coastline around here would be you know a 40, 45 hour plus drive. Yeah, uh, it's it's absolutely huge amount of coastline. Like if it was on if it was on European um, coastline, it'd co it'd cover you know half a dozen or more countries potentially. Yeah. Like it's. It's unbelievable, and it's because of 
the depths that they're dealing with when they hit um, oil down that low. That's it's so high pressured that uh-huh. when it explodes, like it, it's really hard to stop and it spills astronomical amounts of oil out quickly. And and at the same time, we're in the Great Australian Bight. They're open to you know so much uh, storm and swell activity all the time. Plus we have the Lewin Current, you know, you know flushing flushing the ocean you know super fast from west to east as well yeah and you know, strong winds and and what they're basing their spill modeling off is off the deep water horizon spill um and they're, they're basing you know worst case on that which is 100 days mm. and and that that's in one of the most built up areas on the planet you know with loads of infrastructure yeah to deal with these sort of incidents in that spill they had six and a half thousand boats to assist in the cleanup Hmm. Um, we've got 20 boats suitable for the cleanup from three states nearby like it's it's and and not to mention you know equinor's plans to deal with the spill just being completely inadequate their capping stack is you know more than 15 days away where Mm. in other parts of the world they have them within 24 hours like in Mm. the arctic they're all in 24 hours in their in in areas of the in their wells in the arctic as well they've got another rig sitting beside the the rig that's drilling in case there is a blowout so it can immediately drill down on an angle to intercept that and plug it with concrete or you know to attempt stop the flow our second rigs on the northwest shelf, if it's available, that's a minimum of 68 days away. So all the all their like methods of dealing with the spill, they they're not even going to be here anywhere near before oil hits our coastline. It's mm. you know from independent modelling, it shows between nine and ten days it's hitting the shores of the Air Peninsula, mm. and um. And and then their other vessels that they use for the cleanup, booms and skimmers, and right on the top of their list, they can't yeah. even operate in more than two meters swell. Yeah, we're, it's pretty rare for the swell to get below that. Yeah, it's just I feel like we're kind of being treated like idiots down here, and then and and um, our government's not helping things as well. They're enticing these guys to come along, but mm. it's just you know they they're not prepared at all in the case of a spill. Mm. But this is a, you know, as an Aussie, I'm pretty critical of Australia, particularly, you know, when you move away, you become even more critical and a bit detached and things like that. But like, to me, when I look at this um, appetite for mining and petroleum exploration, I mean, Australia's loved it for a long time, you know, like we're pretty open for business traditionally when it comes to like, hey, come and dig a hole here and take that stuff away and pay us, you know, like we've been pretty open to it for like decades now. Um, are you noticing on the ground with this people uh, uprising uh, around this issue that politicians are kind of really taken by surprise that this has managed to actually grab so much attention and really activate people for the first time? Is that the feeling that you get at some of these demonstrations and things like that? Uh, Yeah, I definitely feel like they would be surprised with how far it's spread. You know, they mm. probably expected um, opposition from the Air Peninsula and mm. from South Australia, you know, but they, they, they definitely would not have been expecting paddle outs to happen in you know, the majority of capital cities in Australia and not to mention, you know, 
probably hundreds of other beach towns. Mm. It would literally be hundreds of other beach towns have had paddle outs in the last month. Mm. It's it has been yeah a huge amount of um of opposition from all over the country and you know, it's we're, we're still not getting much out of our major um, political parties from mm. Labor or Liberal on you know from the leaders we're not we're, we still haven't had anything as far as I'm concerned as yeah. far as I, I know yeah um, but you know the we have got a lot of support from independent MPs yeah so like I was saying before um, I'm, I grew up on the Coffs Coast at Nambucca Heads yeah. which is at um, over 2,000 kilometres in a straight line from the Air Peninsula, mm. and I was chatting to a local M- local independent MP who's running. There's an election coming up here in a couple of weeks. For yeah. those that don't know, he's running, um, you know, for parliament, and he did a survey on on the youth of the area on what the biggest issue was for them mm. locally. And the biggest issue for them was the fight for the bite. That's and remarkable. <laughs> it is remarkable. Yeah, it is. You know, we're so far away, and you know, most of this electorate isn't even in that spill zone. But mm. you know, the ocean is such a um, critical part of Aussie's lifestyles and mm. has been so long. You know, it's you know, we've all got really fond memories of either you know hanging out at the beach all summer or, you know, in my case, growing up in a coastal town and going there every single day, mm. you know, meeting up with your friends down there after school and hanging out and camping there on the weekends and, you know, it's, it's, it's such, it's inextricably linked to our lifestyle and I think that, yeah, it's showing definitely with the huge ground wave of support from the youth across the country and that it's spread all the way over here mm. is, is quite remarkable for sure and, yeah, it, it I feel like it's. It, I'm hoping it's only a matter of time until we can get word from you know those major political parties to actually make a stance. But at the moment, I feel like they 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 just if they feel like if they just don't say anything about it at all, well, mm. they're not going to add to the momentum growing against it. Yeah, I feel um, my kind of take on the political situation myself on the Australian attitudes towards this because you know traditionally i've been a pretty strong supporter of the labor party myself and um and that's the way i've generally voted when i've you know when i've been in the country they're kind of too connected up to this resource um industry when it comes to their the lobbying and the funding that they get you know the political donations and same with the liberals you know they've they've been taking money from these companies for a really long time so i feel like um also, they've managed to kind of, in Australia, separate environmental policy from resource policy so that they can kind of say, hey, we're going to do something about climate change by getting everyone to put solar panels on their rooftops, but we're not going to really talk about how much coal we export to, you know, China, Korea, India, and we're not going to talk about how much oil we extract or natural gas we extract because they're different things. You know, they've managed to keep a separation between mining activities and environmental policy which is really remarkable and quite a feat politically to be able to separate the two and manage to still have policies that people can you know because i i'm an, I, I look at myself as someone who's environmentally driven and i can still vote for them because i like their solar panel policy 
But I feel like this particular action that has now been brewing in Australia is managing to really highlight that hypocrisy in those large parties about saying, well, hang on, if you're really serious about climate change, you can't let a new, you know, you can't drill anymore. You have to stop that, you know, and I, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of this, which um, hopefully can get through in this political agenda um, because it is a federal election, right, that's taking place. So these are, the, these are the people who actually can make decisions about some of these permits, I believe, because they are a federal um, permit system, or are they state-based? Am I wrong on that? Um, do you know what the situation is with, um, with who actually gives out these permits um, to Equinor yeah, in the first place? Yeah, that's correct. It's um, federal. It's in yeah. Commonwealth waters. Yeah. And that when the permits were actually um, given away or you know, allocated to these different companies, it was by a fella called Martin Ferguson. Who oh, was yeah, the, the Labor guy. Yeah, there the you Labor go. Party. There you go. And he, he resigned two weeks later and became the head of Australia's Petroleum Lobby Group. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. And, 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 oh, there's so many... Uh, moments like that throughout Australian politics, you know, in both in both the, the big oil campaign, the fight for the bite or yeah. Adani, it's just unbelievable. And Aussies are definitely, you know, becoming more aware of the corruption mm. and we don't trust in the major Labor parties anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that's right. There's been lots of talk about this election, you know, being being a an independent selection. Yeah. They stand up for the communities. You know, they don't. They're not tied to any major political party. Yeah. They're actually in it for the community's interest. And you know, from a personal um, position, like my father, for instance, he's he's been a liberal supporter all his life. You know, yeah. my mum's been a Labor supporter all his life. Oh, and dinners this, must be interesting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and um. But this election, he'll be voting for Rob Oakeshott, the local independent, and he's uh, just lost, he's lost all faith in the the libs, and yeah, he knows he knows that we need to do something mm. about our you know saving our planet, or you know stop stop just pulling fossil fuels out of the ground just with this money lust, yeah, and start you know, making the right decisions so that his grandson can you know, enjoy the same things that he's got to enjoy all his life. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, you know, we've pushed it far enough and it's time to you know, take the pedal off mm. and most definitely not be opening up you know, vast new areas for oil exploration and you know, the Adani coal mine. I feel like, yeah, then, and that's happening you know, quite a bit. It, it, you know, people that have just been locked to their political parties for life because mm. they, they, whatever it is, they like negative gearing or they, yeah. they want yeah. more jobs for the community <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, yeah. labor or liberal. Um, but people are, you know, in that case of my dad or even my brother who's been liberal all his life as well, like they, they are, they'll be voting for independence because, because they don't feel, well, one, they can't trust the the major parties, mm. and and two, it's time to start standing up for the environment a bit more, and mm. and yeah, not just mindlessly sucking these fossil fuels out of the ground to 
make a few extra bucks, which which I don't think Australia is very good at anyway. They don't mm. tax properly. They don't. You know, they send it straight overseas mm. to get processed elsewhere, and then buy it back for way more money. Mm. They're just really silly. Um, you know, they're not like Norway. Norway yeah, <laughs> Norway's really they, good at it. <laughs> oh, they're, they're incredible. I'm reading a book that, about the way Norway's um, made their fortune for yeah, their people through exactly. oil and, and through extremely high taxes on those companies. Mm. Like they've done it. They've done it really wisely. I think they're a smart group of people. Mm. Um, I can't say the same for our own government. No way. You know, there's no way Norway would be attempting to drill their deepest uh, rig they've ever drilled mm. in their own waters off their, you know, that could cover their whole coastline. There's just no way. It's, it's mm. just it's everything at risk. Mm. But you come down here and the government's enticing them. Well, why not? Mm. It's an interesting it's an interesting situation because I think you've like um I think you've just highlighted one of the great ironies. Actually before I say this, big shout out to Rob Oakshot. I'm a huge fan, love his work, so I'm really happy to see him throw his hat back in the ring in Australian politics because it was a it was sad when he left, so like I'm really happy to hear that he's um getting the support from people in your area and I'm a little bit jealous that you get to vote for him because um he used to actually be our member down the coast, so you know, they they well, shift the borders. Yeah. I don't personally because oh yeah you don't sorry love it but uh, <laughs> but on another note for to make you happy yeah. he's got he's got uh, posters and stickers all over the electorate here you know Sick. nine nine out of ten posters and stickers are for him over anyone else so I That's think he's great. got a good chance of getting in here as excellent. an independent excellent love his work um, with this great irony of Norway's kind of they're very they've been very smart about how to manage this natural resource um this fossil fuel resource and they've managed to really leverage it to create what is the one of the richest societies per capita on planet earth you know like this sovereign wealth fund that they have is like over a trillion dollars in value or something ridiculous and every norwegian can drive a tesla and you know retire with a million bucks each you know off the state you know like it's a pretty amazing feat and i think that's really interesting um, for you to highlight that this same uh, prospect, they wouldn't even dream of drilling it into in in waters off their coastline because they it would literally be the riskiest thing they could do. Um, what who who's ultimately like Nopsema has um, taken in the the most recent update to the environmental plan from from Equinor I believe and that's now been lodged they didn't take many recommendations from the 30,000 or so um, responses that came through that platform I think it was something along the, maybe 13 or something uh, different amendments that they made to their environmental plan I don't know if you can correct me on that yes 13 okay 13 um, so they've now got the final environmental plan and I think you would probably, a gambling man would maybe say that Nopsamra is going to approve this because it seems like it fits, you know, when, you, when you're trying to lodge an application for a bank loan, as long as you just, you know, cover the right boxes and check the right boxes, you're going to get the loan, you know, like it's kind of, it doesn't matter what else is said outside of the structure of that form. So, to me, it looks as though Nopsam is going to say, yeah, this is good to go. Um, who's ultimately responsible here? Because some of the questions I get in Scandinavia are, 
aren't the Australians just responsible for this? Can't they just say no? Why Why does it have anything to do with the Norwegian people? Um, okay. And then, mm-hmm. you know, of course, there's other arguments here, but how do you look at this situation now? Is it Australia's responsibility to stop it? Or is it Equinor and the Norwegian's pe- Norwegian people's responsibility to say enough's enough? Well, I see it as we're all on this earth together um, and you know, the actions that could happen down here, well, if, if they are approved just and then they do find oil and open up this oil field, it's going to add to a huge amount of carbon emissions that's not going to help our planet at all. Mm. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, yeah, Nopsema. Um, and I'll just pull you up on the one before, about yeah. the 13. It was, it, that those submissions went through Nopsema, but mm-hmm. were all passed on to Equinor. Uh-huh. So it was, it was Equinor that's actually somehow read through 31,000 submissions in a few weeks. Brilliant and then, And yeah, and then pulled and then decided that only 13 of them had anything worthwhile listening to uh-huh. and, and, and then released their new environmental plan 24 hours before Australia's uh, a new law came into place that any new environmental plans had to go through that public consultation process uh-huh. again, okay. which was quite fortunate for them. Mm. Uh, and... As far as Nopsema goes, making the decision, um, I can't see how they could possibly approve it. Uh, okay. you know, they're, they're an environmental management authority mm. uh, and safety and environmental management authority. And as far as the environmental management uh, goes from Equinor's end, it's absolutely pathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, not having a capping stack ready to go, not having that second rig there ready to drill a relief well, yep. you know, not having any of any um, stations on shore that house cleanup vessels and personnel to help in a cleanup. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've, all of their regulations that they have in place in their own waters are, are completely ignored in this operation mm. and, and then times by 10. Yeah. You know? It's. It would not be. It would be completely illegal. Okay. Okay. So and and as far as Nopsema goes, you know, uh, me trusting them, not much. Yeah, they're me all, neither. That's where my cynicism all comes ex, from. Yeah. Ex oil heads. You yeah. Know, that that's the problem. Yeah. I, I can't see how if they were doing their job properly, like you're saying, mm. you know, if if they go for a house loan, yeah. you tick all the right boxes, you get approved. Well, this is like me going for a house loan and rocking up with $2 in my pocket. Yeah, right. And, you know, a torn up singlet on my back and just saying, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm looking at this one and a half million place overlooking the beach. I'll give you two bucks and I promise I'll pay you back. Yeah. You know, if not, my mate from 500 kilometers down the road, he's got heaps of money. He'll sort you out. Don't yeah, worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about, that's how I see it. Mm. Uh, and... You know, and I don't know, I just, yeah, I, I feel like the Norwegian people, that's Equinor is obviously two-thirds state-owned. Yeah. They've got the opportunity to make a lot of noise here and help stop it. Um, and, yeah, it's like I was saying, it's, you know, it's, it's one planet we live on and this has got the potential to do a lot of damage not only to our local environment from a spill, but it just shouldn't be happening anyway. Mm. 
you, you got the people over there making setting a great example on how to live more sustainably um, and move away from fossil fuels, like driving all their electric cars and mm. you know, all their energy come from renewable sources. I think it's hydroelectric over there. Yeah, you've got tons but, of it in yeah. Norway, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so you know, we've got the same opportunity to do that here in Australia, like on mm. the Air Peninsula where they're planning to do the drilling. Yeah. Now, we should be running the whole state of South Australia with solar. Mm. And slowly but surely, shires and communities throughout Australia are transferring over to solar and wind power and you know, mm. sustainable energies but um you know on the air peninsula there's it's still uh you know not we don't have a lot of solar powering our communities there and, and that's something that we should be aiming towards and moving towards not just mindlessly keeping on digging away these fossil fuels yeah exactly i, I feel like you could just set a good example you know and Stop it. It's a stupid idea. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. We just need to stand up and make some noise. And, and yeah, that's it. Well, the noise is reaching out. Like, I mean, I think, you do you recognize at this point in the campaigning, like how long have you been working on this personally? Like what's, how long has your engagement with this issue been? Oh, it's been ever since I've moved to the Air Peninsula, basically, which okay. was six years ago right and you know, at, at the time bp was applying to drill and you know i was vocal against it then mm. but it's it's um yeah really been in this last you know six weeks since equinor's dropped their environmental plan that yeah, yeah the momentum has has really gone uh gone viral gone big time yeah and and that has inspired me to Know, become more vocal again and and also uh, the more people that get involved the more we learn about how you know, corrupt and mm. ludicrous this idea is yeah and how there's you know there's there's nothing in it for when you look into it you really can't see anything in it for any australians mm. it's i don't know there's obviously some sly stuff going underhand between appia and the government but yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Let's talk about you because I wanted to kind of segue to you as an individual on this a bit more because I feel like, um, well, there's a couple of things. Like coming from Foster, I, I've always recognized that something happens north of Coffs Harbour where you lot up there, it just seemed to be a bit more environmental like it's like there's this thing that happens north of coughs and and i don't know what it is but i got a lot of friends from around that way as well and they just seem to like they love the bush like there's a there seems to be this stronger appreciation of the hinterland and like the natural environment something happens i don't know what it is it's just my little impression but for you were you always um an environmentally concerned surfer before this issue or did something awaken in you um, when you got down to um, the bite and you were surfing down there and obviously, you know, it's a pretty desolate place but it's also got its own natural wonders and the obviously the ocean down there is teeming with life. So, was this issue something that awakened a, uh, an activist in you or, or were you always concerned? Uh, I've, I've always 
being environmentally minded yep. for sure. Like I, I grew up, you know, on five acres in the bush. Yeah, exactly like right. That. I figured that. <laughs> yeah, and we had, um, you know, yeah, an incredible orchard, and you know, we'd get up in the morning and go and pick apples and bananas yeah. and guavas, bake them up with our oats to have for breakfast, Sick. and then go down the beach and you know, yeah, and have picnics down there and hang there all day. It was definitely. Uh, idealistic way to grow up for yeah, sure yeah and uh, then moving into growing up and starting to travel um and and traveling with you know, other surfers competing and stuff i was i even you know felt a bit conscious about my lifestyle then you know flying everywhere hop, staying in hotels you know eating yeah. out all the never growing any of my own food never really contributing to the environment in a positive way yep uh, and and you know being quite upset at my friends a lot of the time when they'd throw a you know throw a bit of rubbish out the window or something and I'd be like what are you doing that for and they'd be mm. like oh it's not it's not my country I'm like oh Jesus <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's one it's one planet yeah. I always felt felt that and you know, I'd go to LA and you know see the huge amount of industry and yeah action over there and it would definitely scare me yeah but um yeah I was never super vocal about it on a public platform mm. i was just um you know worried in my own head a little bit and trying to do um you know con- concerned that i was doing my bit mm. but yeah when it was definitely when i moved to the air peninsula and learned about what they were attempting to do down there mm. and and I, I i felt from day dot that the reason like they've chose down there to try and do it as well is because there's so little people yeah you know, there's obviously some oil out there yeah um, but the population is so small down there mm. and and for the um for a large part you know they're not north of coffs harbour they don't have that environmental mindset a yeah. lot of the time although you know 95 percent of the population down there are extremely concerned about this because it's not hard to see mm. why yeah um yeah that's when i started you know, becoming a bit more vocal and you know, putting my head out there a bit that, that this is crazy, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, and, and putting your head out there a bit, it's interesting. It sounded like you just put your head out in a chopping block. Um, that's kind of like the <laughs> sticking your neck out in Australia is a dangerous act sometimes. Um, have you had any pushback yourself on your... Because I know when I took my first action um, against something that was... Like, I, I helped kind of try to fight back a McDonald's in Foster, uh, the second McDonald's, right? Like, they wanted to put a McDonald's in Foster, and I was like, I was overseas, living overseas, and I was like, what? They want to put a second Macca's in Foster Tongue Curry? This is ridiculous, you know? Like, why? We don't really need more than one, surely. There's only like, you know, 2,000 people, 3,000 people who live there. Surely more than one Macca's <laughs> isn't a necessary investment in the community. So, you know, that was my first thing I. Um, stuck my neck out about, you know, and I, I did the the very um, millennial thing of uh, starting a Facebook page and, you know, like, no to the Maccas and, like, you know, everybody got involved and I, you know, before I knew it, I had, like, hundreds of people signing up and, you know, people protesting at the local council. I was in France, so, you know, I was halfway around the world just kind of running this thing and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool shit. Um I did get some backlash though and I did feel that um, sense of sticking my neck out and having to then, you know, because once you start to say no to something, you know, the attention comes on you and you've got to have good answers to everything. And so, 
how has it felt to stick your neck out on this issue? And and has it been challenging at times for you to deal with? Uh, for the most part, it's been really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't had that much negative backlash against it, and very minimal, really. Okay. Um, it's been, especially online, very minimal. That's uh, great. Yeah, it has been great. It's been... Um, by far and away, a lot of support and, yeah, very, very minimal backlash. So, no, there's been very little at all. I, uh, you know, at, at Streaky, I was a little bit concerned to put my head out at first. You know, I'm mm. new to the community down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's somewhere that it take, you know, might take you 50 years until you're considered half local. <laughs> sort of, I was about to say, it could take a lifetime and you'll never truly get there down that way, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. and and I was definitely um, like I went to uh, the Streaky Bay Council with my wife and uh, another couple of locals down there to yeah. uh, put in a delegation for them to have a moratorium against drilling in the bite. Mm. And you know that's going this up again. You know, the the council's made up of you know the councillors are four or five farmers in their you know sixties and seventies yeah, yeah. that are. Yeah, pretty rednecked, and you know, like for me, I was pretty worried about sort of sticking my head out there and yeah, going sure, in there. You know, sure. I'd cut on my hair and had a shave and <laughs> you know, wore my best button up and nice. You know, tried to do my best, put in my best face for them because otherwise they wouldn't have listened at all. Yeah, sure. But um, yeah, it, no, I definitely probably get the odd look or the odd person saying something behind my back, I don't know. But, yeah. no, nah, it's been really good. And and has the local community down there, because obviously, like, that's where this started, right? It started in Streaky Bay um, and it, by the sounds of it, it started with a handful of concerned people um, taking mm. that first action, those first steps. Um, but it seems like the community, like, would you say in Streaky Bay itself or in the kind of epicentre where this kind of kicked off, is there overwhelming support now for the resistance to this development? Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely overwhelming support throughout the whole Air Peninsula. And, yeah. and I'd say that the resistance really um, started further south at Elliston. They okay. were the yeah. first community to really uh, become really vocal. And that's got, there's a couple of... Um, they're great humans down there, Tim and Anna, that have, have been vocal from the get-go and they and they should be given thanks for starting this whole movement. Yeah. But um, most definitely, by far and away, the community is fully opposing it. Mm. But Equinor's smart. You know, they, they've obviously sponsored an oyster farmer who's got an ad on TV who talks about how, you know, oysters are incredible and he's had a <laughs> whole, whole life... Um, you know, farming oysters and he loves the Air Peninsula. It's so beautiful and this and that. And why shouldn't we open up to oil drilling? And this That's is an ad on TV. so you know, funny. I've chatted with half a dozen other oyster farmers and they're just livid. <laughs> so bloody pissed off that this guy's gone and, so gone and, and he's made it sound like he's representing the whole of the Oyster Association. Wow. And so that put makes it look like, you know, there's, mm. there's quite a bit of support. And then at the same time, you know, um, Equinor's sponsoring Sejuna's Oyster Fest coming up this year. Wow. You know, yeah, the major sponsor of that. And then, and all of a sudden, the mayor from Sejuna's, you know, supporting it. 
and putting articles out in newspapers saying that um, you know, most of the community supports it. There's just a few people out here that you can't please, no matter what you do. Oh, that and old argument. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. yeah. 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 Like it, it, so it, and it, it's really heartbreaking for us that are trying to fight it. And you know, the vast majority of the community in general that you know mm. we're, we're putting up such a strong fight and you yeah. know getting getting our councils to oppose it. And then you get guys like him and this bloody oyster grower. Putting their, you know, put, putting their heads out and making it sound like you know, there's quite a bit of the community that supports it, and it's just not true. Mm, that's really funny and so ironic. Like it's almost it's, like the oysters are going to clean up the spill. You know, these bivalves will save us. Don't worry. You know, when the oil spill comes, the oysters are just going to suck it all up for us. You know, that'll be yeah. sweet. <laughs> and it's funny. It's it's illegal in Norway for um, you know other for foreign companies to invest in local communities when there's a conflict of interest. Ah. You know? Yeah, right. But it, yeah, but it's fine for them to come and do it here. Aussies love it. We 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 just the doors open though in Aussie, you know. Like we like a part of me like I I'm pretty confident that this will I'm confident from where I sit be looking at the resistance on the ground in Australia and then looking at you know a lot of the Norwegians I speak to are really there's a certain amount of shame that they have about this situation because the relationships that Australia has with Scandinavia is really good and strong, you know, like whether it's with Swedes or Norwegians or Danes, we all get along really well. And um, and it's quite interesting, you know, there's so many Scandinavians who go to Australia um, to do the working holiday visa and all that kind of stuff. And relationships are really strong. And, and there is a certain amount of shame from all this. So, um, but Oz just seems to leave itself open for these kind of problems. So a part of me laughs at the at the plate, like the, the, I guess the administration of Australia, you know, like the political system, which has really left itself open for a company like Equinor to play these games really easily and, and to get these small wins, you know, sponsor the local oyster farmer, you know, get the local councillors on board and take them out to nice dinners probably and make them feel real good. And like, we let that happen um, because of our systems, but I guess the the real difference here is that there is this stronger connection I feel between young people across these borders who who are sick of this hypocrisy and this kind of old boys club of politics mm. and business. Um so I do feel confident that this actually is going to be a successful campaign, you know, like I do think that ultimately we are going to win this. Um but part of that kind of to to get towards a conclusion for this kind of interview with you and i really appreciate the time um what are the next steps for you um i understand that there's a delegation heading over to norway um do you want to give the listener a bit of a rundown on what you're now working on and how that can kind of um what what you hope to achieve in the next you know in the coming few weeks yeah so there is a delegation heading over to norway to attend equinor's agm on the 15th of may mm-hmm um, and yeah, in the days leading up to that, uh, from the 10th to the 15th, and I'm not exactly sure of the exact schedule, sorry, but we, we're going to have paddle outs. We want to have a paddle out in Oslo yeah, and a paddle out in Stavanger. I yep. hope I pronounced that right. Well pronounced. Well pronounced. And, and also, uh, have Nevertown showings and other events just to, Try and rally support from the Norwegian community because, um, yeah, like you're saying, Australian government 
is a joke mm. and we're fed up with it. You know, hopefully we can get some good changes that come from this election. Yeah. But we're really up against it, fighting our own government. So you know, we're we're gonna we're really trying to get as much support as we can from the Norwegian people and to stop it from Equinor's end. Mm. And try and we want them to stand up and be responsible and you know continue to set a good example for the globe you know as you're saying we've got to, i feel like i've got a good relationship with scandinavians as well and you know i i really do think that some of the smartest people on the planet you know to to regulate the oil their oil the way they have and create huge fortune from it mm-hmm. which has you know, done an incredible job there and then um to now be moving into renewables and you know, setting a really good example for living sustainably, mm. it, it, it's a bit hypocritical for them to come and do such incredibly risky drilling in, you know, on the opposite side of the globe mm. in some of the most pristine, untouched waters mm. in the world. You know, I'd, I'd argue that it is the most pristine, untouched part of the planet that we've mm. got left. Yeah, like it's really really unpopulated. There's no industry there, you know. That just we, except for the huge fishing industry, which is the biggest in Australia, mm. if not in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, that's all that we've got going on. It's just fishing. There's no rivers and and crap flushing out all the farm, you know, chemicals and other yeah. stuff that yeah. is pristine and it's teeming with life. That's why we've got such incredible fisheries down there. And it's part of the world that's worth keeping that way. You know, there's yeah. not that many parts that are still so pristine and and untouched. So, you know, from a global community, we need to stop this. Yeah. Set a good example. And you're you're bringing a bunch of letters over, are you from Oz? I think that was the I think I saw on Insta that you're kind of rallying some. Um, you're rallying the community yeah. to kind of do a nice um, nice stack of paper to to deliver to the AGM. Is that the plan? Yeah, we're trying to get um, yeah, people to write letters of concern in, directly yeah. to Equinor as well. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, I'll bring over as many as we get. Yeah. But it's it's difficult because we've been, you know, been asking people to write for so many different things, you know. Yeah. Make sure you're right to Make sure you write to your local MPs. Make yeah. sure you're right to and make sure you're right to liberal. Make sure it's yeah. And I know I know what it's like. You know, if unless you you're on the you're, unless you're heavily involved and yeah. you, you take the time to do it, but otherwise it can get you know a bit overwhelming. Yeah. But in saying that, I've read through you know 50 odd emails that have come through already. Well, there's there's probably far there's far more than that that have come through. But the ones yeah. I've read, yeah. people people are writing pages. Yeah, right. Pages of really heartfelt, you know honest good stuff yeah that's that's um, incredible that's incredible and 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 you know i can't help it's probably for another conversation but i can't help to recognize the irony of just writing being so important um about like in this day and age you know like it's almost like it'd be easier to say to aussies hey why don't you just come on over you know, just come to the AGM and just like stand there with us because exactly. I think Aussies yeah. would be more up for that. To be yeah. honest, they'd be like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I'll get on a plane." You know, like yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> in this day and age where people, you know, that their attention spans are so short. Yeah, you know, 
and you're so busy darting from bloody Facebook to Instagram yeah, to the exactly. school pass to, <laughs> yeah. to work yeah. or whatever else you're doing. Work it's, came forth yeah, there, by the way. Hard, so, yeah. It's hard for people to justify setting aside an hour or two to, to put pen to paper. But they and are I doing feel it. Like that's what ha- needs to happen you know, in society in general. We all just need to take a step back, mm. slow down, you know, and, and keep, simplify things, keep it local and keep it simple. Well, I think that's a beautiful sentiment to finish this uh, interview on. Um, I'm going to wrap things up. I mean, were there any last kind of call to action you want to get out there to the listener? Is there any kind of final words you want to throw out there? Um, no, but just keep an eye on... You can either follow me on Instagram and keep an eye on what's happening over there or, or Patagonia, Australia. We'll keep you updated. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it'd be great to get as many of the local surf community and the community in general to come along to these events that we're having in Norway and, and, and just for you guys in general to start talking amongst yourselves, you know, talk to your friends about what's happening here and let's just, let's just spread the awareness and stop it. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks stuff. for your time, Josh. There it is. The fight for the bite continues. Huge thanks to Heath Josky for jumping on the line with me from South Australia to have a chat about the issue, what's going on with Equinor and how all of us can play whatever role we can play uh, in resisting the continued uh, exploration for oil in sensitive marine environments. Um, this podcast is the first of a, of a very sharp uh, series of podcasts that are going to cover the delegation that's visiting uh, Norway uh, this week and heading into the Equinor AGM on the 15th of May. There's going to be a paddle out on uh, Sunday, the 12th of May, and I really hope anyone listening to this podcast and who is in the Oslo region or knows people in Oslo who care about the ocean and who want to do something about it, we'd really love to see you in uh, at Salt, really funky cafe slash restaurant slash bar on the water there in front of the Opera House uh, in Oslo for a paddle out, um, a panel discussion, a bit of music. Um, there's a lot of really cool people who are going to be there with a lot of great things to say. The most important person who can be there though is you. Uh, If you care about your oceans, if you want to be a part of the change that's happening in the world right now, because there's a lot happening in the world, it's a really great time to get involved. This might be your first environmental action in your life, Um, but you have friends. There's a whole bunch of us that are going to be jumping in those icy cold waters, and uh, we really look forward to having you and your crew there with us. So join the fight for the bite. Big oil don't surf. And thanks to the many supporters of this podcast who are um, jumping on board with a, uh, a fervor that, uh, that, yeah, we're really proud of. So stay tuned for more. There's going to be some great uh, interviews coming right up about the fight for the bite.